Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program with Let's Get Real, Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Thank you for joining us tonight on the Sunday night. We're happy to have everybody here with us, and uh, we're going to get ready to get started. Rabbi Friedman is here. Let's just uh, let him in. Hold on one second. Tell him, Rabbi Friedman, we're going to start. Give a few minutes. I'll get to you. Okay, everybody, tonight's share 131. Thank you for joining us again. Before we start, I'd like to thank all of our uh, guests for coming on every week, and the platform grows. Ready, we're up to share 131. And we're doing this for two and a half years. We have Rabbi Manus Friedman already. This is going to be a third time. And we're very excited. It keeps on coming back. And it's been an amazing, amazing show every time he comes back. And I'd like to thank all the people that come on and that promote it and put on their statuses and their uh, email to their friends. And let people know about it. Really appreciate it. And uh, we try to cover important topics and be Sichas uh, Haverim to grow together. Shmuz. If anybody wants to join the, the program, please, you could. Uh, What's up, me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. And um, if you want to go to menachembarefield.com, you can sign up to the emails and get the flyers. Every uh, every Sunday, every Monday morning, he sends it out and uh, be part of it. Again, for the people that are watching this on YouTube, you can click on the subscribe button to join the Coach Menachem subscribe uh, channel, or you can click on the like button to uh, give us some more likes. So me and Menachem can make a lot of money in the likes. <laughs> and join us again. Uh, thank you for joining again. The Lakewood Scoop over here for promoting us here in Lakewood. Special thank you to Ellie and Ariel for promoting us on the Five Town Central. And special thank you to Kyla Kaufman and JCN for promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. We really appreciate it. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9 30, we do the Sheer. We're doing it for a long time. Please join us. We have tremendous speakers, rabbis, therapists. And then we, every once in a while, we bring in the best of the best, Rabbi Manus Friedman, to join us. And um, Thank you for coming again. Next Sunday, we're going to have Rev. Shmuel Zucker from Kihilas. It's called Beis Shlomo Ramat Eshkol in Israel. He's an amazing, amazing rub over there. He speaks in A. She's an amazing person. The topic next week is a Ben in today's working world, dealing with the sinus of, of Kedusha in our generation. Should be a very powerful share. He's an amazing person. Please join us and tell everybody, your family and friends to join as well. The following week afterward, just want to mention that February 19th, it's going to be an amazing program with Rev. Shlomo Slatkin. He's a big professional in Mago therapy for couples, and uh, it should be an amazing program as well. So please join us. It should be busy and unbelievable. And tonight we have the schuss of having Rabbi Manus with us, who's been here many, many times. We had the last year of Manus we did on anxiety. We got a tremendous amount of feedback. We really uh, went deep into the Indian and we covered a lot. And um, tonight so we're going to get into a very, very important topic that's on everybody's minds. We're going to try, try to get some clarity. Before we get into it, uh, let's start off with the Gematria. Tonight's year is 131. Our president of Let's Get Real, Arnaich Fried, comes up with the Gematria. Arnaich, the floor is yours. Today is Zoom share number, th- number 131. We were discussing the topic, how to create the vessel for the blessings to pour in. I recently heard a beautiful vote from Shalom Atcher Rabashkin that he said over from the Labavitcher Rebbe. It says in Kapitel, in Tehillim, Kapitel Nunei, Pasuk Chav Gimel, Hashlech al Hashem, Yehovcha, so the rabbi explains what's the lotion of Yechal Kalecha. 
So he says, the reason why we do ishtadlis in Panosa is to create a keli, a vessel. And through this vessel, the Ebishta is able to be mashpia brach into the keli. What happens if a person feels that he's not successful in creating this keli? Is Hashem al Hashem throw you load upon Hashem, and the Ebishta Kavayachal himself will create the keli in order that the person should have shefa and panasa ba'chavah. I feel one of the ways of tapping in of Hashtech Hashem Yehovcha, if you don't have a keli, if you do have a keli, is with the Havas Hashem to realize that whatever Hashem does for the, is for the best, with Amuna to believe that Hashem could do anything and everything. That's why I feel it's most apropos that the Gematria of 131 is a Hava Vahamuna. Doyach, doyach, really appreciate it. Beautiful. Okay, we're going to open up tonight. First, Coach Menachem is going to open up to tell us what we're doing here tonight, what we're going to talk about, and uh, Coach Menachem, open it up. Thank you very much. Nice words. Welcome, everyone, to another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. Baruch Hashem, we're up to number 131 with a lot of Siata Deshmaya. And I first want to say that it was nice speaking to some of you um, the past few days, I've been reaching out. Our uh, our yearly campaign is up and running, and I want to thank for all of those that were were part of it already. And for those who give him it, we'll put the link in the in the chat and uh, be part of it. Last week in the Pasha, we read Pasha Samon, and many 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 of you said it as Gula for Panosa, but if you think about it. There were no pantries in those days. There was no putting away for the next day, the pantry full of food. It was whatever you had, you had a jar for that day. And what's going to be tomorrow? That wasn't the question. You lived every day with Hashem. So that's one thing that we have to think about when we're talking about Anosa, talking about anxiety, you know, making, what, what What should you do? How am I going to cover my bills? How am I going to marry off my kids? How long should I think of it? How long is Amuna putting it away? All of these ideas. Another concept is when the Eden went out of Mitzrayim after Kriyas Yamsov. It was the Biza Sayam. They were the richest nation. There was so much gold and silver. But if you read a little bit further in the Tzukim, they had everything they needed wealth-wise, but not a drop of water to drink. So it's interesting to, to realize you have to rely on Hashem no matter if you have money, you don't have money. Many people think when I'll have money, I'll be able to serve Hashem. When I'll have money, that's when everything will be okay and that's when everything will work out. But we don't realize that it's an assignment. And for those who don't have, think that when they'll have. And for those who do have, how to figure it out, how to use it, and to make sure that they don't get lost, they stay connected to Hashem. So, Baruch Hashem, we have this first to have with us tonight, Rabbi Manus Friedman, and the Mitzvah Hashem. We'll, we'll be able to ask, ask him our questions, and Hashem should give you koyach to be able to guide us, to show us the way for those who want to make more, for those who have a lot. The right, the right ideas, the right concept, and the right hashkafa in this Indian. Shkoyach. I'm mute. 
Thank you for the. Oh, <clears throat> I'm going to introduce you, Rabbanus. Okay, so yeah. here, the, the topic is the Kabbalah of, of making money and success, how to create the vessel, the cleave for the bracha, the blessings to pour in. So I'm going to read Rabbi Manus's bio, and then I'm going to make the same joke I make every single time. And then Rabbanus, I want to tell you before you start, there's so many questions that came in that covers everything. The opening could be so bekitzer because the questions are good. I'm just letting you know, but you could speak as much as you want. Okay, Rabbanus Friedman, world-renowned author, counselor, lecturer, philosopher. Rabbanus Friedman uses ancient wisdom and modern wit as he captivates audiences around the country and the world. He is widely recognized for his thoughtful approach for almost every major issue that plagues society from self-awareness to spirituality, parenting, marriage, evidence with regards to displayed through thousands of students, fans, and individuals who deeply respect his wisdom and compassion. When he takes to the podium, Rabbi Friedman enthuses each of his listeners with a sense of purpose and defined direction. Rabbi Friedman has written five books with more on ways has been featured on CNN, PBS, BBC, A&E, and TEDx, to name a few. Other one of his claims to fame is being YouTube's most popular rabbi, over 200,000 mm -hmm. followers, listening to his daily content. And then the joke that I always make, Rabbi Manis, <laughs> is the father of Benny Friedman, the brother of Romfrey, the eighth day, Ellie Marcus. Could open up with a niggin. But uh, the floor is yours. I'm going to start with a very interesting uh, observation. What is our relationship with Hashem to begin with? For many people, the, uh, the assumption is that we're, in a sense, adversaries. We want, and he doesn't necessarily give. So we have to beg, and we have to pray, and we have to try, and we have to be zeicher as if we need to change his mind. But that is absolutely not true. There are two ways to look at uh, life. One is, I have needs. My needs are real. They must be satisfied. And so I will take care of myself and do what I need to do, help myself to success and whatever else, unless God tells me that I'm not allowed. So the default position is, I take what I need, I use what I see, unless I'm told otherwise. The other position is, nothing is mine, this world is not mine, I didn't create it, it doesn't belong to me, so until I get permission, I don't touch anything. Like a good guest in a person's house, until you tell me what I can use and what I can enjoy, I, I won't do anything. So Adam in Ganeden, Hashem says to him, of all the trees of the garden you may eat, but not the tree of knowledge. Why did he have to say of all the trees you can eat? Because if he hadn't said it, uh, Adam would starve. He would never eat anything. Just because I'm hungry doesn't mean I can take somebody else's food. I need to build a house, so I go and chop down trees? Whose trees are they? Even the environmentalists say it's not yours. <laughs> so, the difference in, in the feeling, the psychology 
if I assume that I have to live my life, if I'm hungry, I have to eat. If I'm thirsty, I have to drink. So if there's water around, I'm going to drink. If there's food, I'm going to eat. Sure, if, if Hashem says no, then I can't. If you start with that attitude, eventually you start to build up a resentment. This I can't, that I can't, this I'm not allowed, that I'm not allowed, not today, not here, not like this, not you, not... Eventually you start to feel like God is interfering with your life. If you start the other way, then life feels very different. Nothing is mine. I'm not allowed to touch anything. And then Hashem comes along and says, of all the trees you may eat, after the mabo, you're allowed to eat meat, and you're allowed to work six days a week, and you can get married to a nice Jewish girl. Everything that we have is made permissible when it really shouldn't be. So I was thinking the bracha we make in the morning, in the bracha sashacha, matir asurin. Baruch ato Hashem, alekeinu melech o'elam, matir asurin. You untie the bound. Who's bound? When you're sleeping, you're bound? Why, because you can't move? You don't want to move, you're sleeping. It's completely voluntary. Nobody has to tie me down. So it could be that the deeper meaning is everything is forbidden because it's not mine. And then Hashem comes and says, this you may do, that you may do. So it doesn't feel restrictive at all. It feels extremely generous. So now when it comes to making a living, what is, what is our default position? I need to make a living. I have to. I mean, if God says explicitly, no, you can't do that. All right, so I have to listen. I can't do it. But it's interfering with my, uh, with my potential income. Or you think the other way. I am entitled to nothing in this world. It's not my world. I would never chop down a tree if, 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 if it's not mine, if I don't get permission, if God doesn't say. So when he does say, go make a living, you'll be with a little bit sweat of your brow, but you'll make a living and you'll have bread. It's all positive. I don't have to argue with him. He wants me to be successful. I just shouldn't blow it. Very different mentality. So let's go to the questions. Okay, Rabbi Friedman, I appreciate that. And I'm gonna do a poll first and then we're gonna jump. We have a lot, a lot of questions. Okay, I try to put them in some order so we could be uh, productive. Okay, here we go. Three poll questions, everybody answer. Hermanus, if you want to give your opinion after we vote, I would appreciate it. Okay. Matt, can you see the questions? Okay, first question is, what do you think is the main factor between successful and unsuccessful people? 
Four choices. What's your opinion? A, confidence or smarts. B, mazel. Some people are meant to have more, some people less. Luck. C, people who are, are more willing to take risks are more successful. Or D, determined and don't give up. Very strong-minded people. That's the first question. Second poll. What do you really feel? It's not a it's not a thoughts question. It's a feeling question. What do you feel when you hear a rich person is someone who's happy with his portion, right? What do you feel when you hear that? A, happiness is a mindset. B, learning to be thankful for what we do have is a richness in itself. Or C, feel like it's a saying that only poor, unsuccessful people like to say to make them feel better. It's just a feeling. Manas, you like that answer, huh? Number three, what do you think will change once you make a lot of money? Okay, four options. What From all the options, what do you think talks to you the most? I will be happy and content and spend more time with my family. Number two, I will be able to give a lot of tzedakah and help others. Number three, I'm concerned people will try to use me. Or number D, I won't have time for my family or learning. I'll be too busy. So four and one is opposite of each other. Okay. So those are the three polls. Answer them. We'll give a few seconds, and then we'll share the responses with everybody. Remind us if you want to comment on any of them, it's fine. We can go straight to the questions, whatever you want to do. Do it a few seconds. Let's see what the item's holding here. Well, for question number one. Wait, 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 wait. I want to share. I want to share with everybody first. I want to see what everybody said. You could see what people are saying, but I didn't share it yet with everybody. So after they finish, I'm going to let the item know what, what the people think, and then we'll all share it. Okay. Okay. Five. Four. Three, two, it's three, three long questions. I got to give them a little time, you know what I mean? Okay, here we go. I'm going to share with everybody. Okay, Ramanas, what do you think is the main factor between successful and unsuccessful people? Only 6% of people feel it's a matter of confidence and smarts. 37% of people feel it's Kule Mazel. Some people are meant to have more and some people less. 11% think people are willing to take more risks. And the percentage winner is 47% of people feel determined and don't give up. The strong-minded people that push and push, that's the reason why they're more successful. Arifiman, do you want to comment on this? I'm just curious. I agree with the mazel. Not only is it all dependent on mazel, but in some way, every time somebody makes a living, it's a little bit of a miracle. There is no cause and effect. There's nothing you do that brings success. Okay. There's no such law in nature. Okay. We're going to get into it. I have so many questions on this. Ooh. Hermanus, we're going to grill it until we get the clarity in it. Don't worry. What do you really feel inside when you hear a rich person is someone who's happy with his portion? 40% of people said happiness is a mindset. 55% of people feel say learning to be thankful for what we do have is richness in itself. Only 6% of people feel like it's a saying only poor people or unsuccessful people like to say. What do you think? Learning to be thankful? Is that the side of it? You're going to do the poll first? What? You're going to do the poll first? Oh, that was the poll. The poll was, you know, what, 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 do you, what do you feel when you hear that comment? Well, Let's go to the last one. Let's go to the last one. What do you think will change once you make a lot of money? 28% of people feel I'll be happy and content and spend more time with my family. More than 25% of people here feel that once they have money, it's good, we're good to go. 60% of people feel I will be able to give a lot of tzedakah and help others. Only 3% are concerned that people are going to try to use them. And only 8%, they're not concerned that I won't have time for my family or learning. I'll be too busy. Manas, you want to comment on that one? I think the fear of not having time is very real. 
because uh, making a living never brings contentment. But then we have an insight into the previous question. What does it mean that if you're content with your lot, then you are considered rich? That's, that's, that's bait and switch. You ask who is rich and then you tell me who is happy. That's not fair. <laughs> it's not doesn't work like that. Don't tell me that a poor person who is happy is rich. No, he's not. He's a happy poor guy. <laughs> so you start off saying who is rich? Tell me who is rich. Don't tell me who is happy. So I think the answer is who is rich means who knows how to handle wealth. Among rich people, who knows how to handle the wealth? If you're content with your lot, then your wealth is healthy. Content with your lot doesn't mean you're happy with the money you have. Rich people are never happy with the money they have or they won't get rich. <laughs> a rich person has a tendency to suddenly become discontented with the rest of his life. His wife is not good enough. His children are not good enough. His car is not good enough. His house is not big enough. His rabbi is not smart enough. His kehillah doesn't deserve him as a member. He has to change everything in his life. Why? The wealth is killing you. So who knows how to be wealthy? Somebody who appreciates his life, not the amount of money. The amount of money you always want more and that's okay okay rabbi Friedman, we have a lot of questions we have a few live let's let's start with some uh i broke it up a little bit more into like hashkafa stuff so let's let's try to handle some hashkafa questions that came in somebody said the question i want to understand why hashem created this whole global economy why do we need to go to work hashem could have done many other ways than kedai parnasa right why do we have to spend most of our adult life sitting in an office working to make money? It's a very good question. Similar to why do we work six days in order to have one day of Shabbos? That seems to be disproportionate. We really should work, let's say, uh, one day out of the week and have six days of Shabbos. That would be uh, a more normal world. The reason we have a global economy, the answer is in the word global. It brings the world together. Without the need for business, we would be so isolated. Communities would never have anything to do with other communities. Now, people would never have invented ships to take them across the ocean. All of that was for Parnassa. So the need to make a living, which takes you beyond your own village, beyond, out of your cave, and beyond your village, beyond your town, beyond your country, is to unite the world so that people get to know each other and can do each other a favor. That's why God created poor people and rich people, so that we need each other. He created people who are intelligent and know a lot, and people who are not so intelligent and need to know, it brings people together. So every, uh, what seems to be unfair 
distribution of wealth, of strength, of intelligence, of influence, is so that there is a giver and a receiver. We are interdependent. We don't live in isolation. That's the main reason. In the meantime, you make a living. Come home with a few dollars. Let's start with some live questions, okay? Okay, you're on. Hi, everybody. Friedman, thank you for taking my question. Um, after seeing the, the polls and the Rabbi Friedman, you said that the answer was really more based on Mazel. Um, you know, all of us in life, when we start off, we have these dreams of we want to have rich, we want to have this amount. Practically, since the world is not like that, one has less, one has more, how do we kind of set, set the proper expectation of how much we should dream for and how much we should work hard and expect we'll get? and not drive ourselves crazy. And just a second question, that's just something a lot of us have been so turmoil with working and being so stressed out. Like, what is the true value of life? Like, in terms of balancing money, family, learning, everything, what does the ideal happiness look like? No, that's such a good question. The world is starting to feel, and you see it and hear it everywhere, the world is starting to feel, no matter how successful I am, or no matter how unsuccessful I am, I don't, un I don't understand why I'm here in the first place. What is this? What is the point of this whole thing? Some people will succeed, some people will not. Some days you'll have more, some days you'll have less. And you toil like this, for 90 years, and then it's over. What is the point of this whole thing? So what if I'm successful? Then what? It's almost like you're afraid to become completely successful because then you've hit the ceiling and you got no place to go. So what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to make life on earth more inhabitable, more livable, more doable, more pleasant, more, more beautiful, more, not only for each other, but for the creator himself. We are here to perfect God's creation for him. This is called Ivdu Es Hashem. If I know that I'm here for a reason, and the reason is cosmic, infinite, eternal. Life, life makes more sense and it's easier to tolerate. So <clears throat> how much money should you make? Endless, infinite, why put a limit on it? But to kill yourself, to punish yourself because you think that you're not making the money you should make as a result of your mistakes, your inabilities, that is so stressful and it is so unnecessary and so unhealthy. It's not like you would have made more money had you done anything differently. In Yiddishkeit, to say if only 
is a lack of emunah. If only I had done things differently, I would now be rich. No, you wouldn't. Because if you were meant to be rich, you would be rich. Like the guy says, how did I become rich? Oh, the good old-fashioned way. I started by uh, selling newspapers, and then I went on to polishing shoes in the street, and then my rich uncle died, and I inherited a fortune. (laughs) So beating yourself up because you think you should have done something different, and if I was smarter, I would now be richer. This is torture, and it's not kosher. It's not kosher. If you are meant to be rich, you would be rich. If you're meant to be richer, you would be richer. And to say, if only, means that you you don't think God runs the world. This is completely not kosher. How much money should you want? (laughs) Why put a limit on it? It was an interesting Jew here in town, in Crown Heights. He, ran, he had, at the time, he had the only butcher store in the neighborhood. And then somebody came along and opened another butcher shop. So his friends came to him, you know, to commiserate with him. Say, oh, that's terrible. He's going to take your customers. And to their surprise, this, this very... Uh, happy individual said, he's going to take my customers. Gesundheit, hate. Customers are a pain in the neck. All I want is Parnassa, and that comes from Hashem. So let him handle the customers. Give me the Parnassa. <laughs> that is so true. It is so true. Isn't it possible that another store has more customers and makes less money? It happens all the time. So really, where does Parnassa come from? Don't torture yourself. It's unnecessary and it doesn't help. <laughs> Let's jump on the next question. You're on. Hi. Hey, hey how's it going? So uh, thank you so much for taking my question. Also, um, I was wondering, because it's, it's a little bit hard to know. We do like our style as much as we can. And, um, you know, but how do I know that God is actually going to provide for me? At the end of the day, it's just been bothering me for a long time that people die, starved to death, thousands of people, including children, every single day in Africa and places like that, starved to death, nothing, zero, and they couldn't have done anything and they're doing their best. So at that rate, like, what does that mean? How, how do I know God? Okay, I'll try, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee because if there was a guarantee, you wouldn't have to have a Muna or Betachem. But we have to know what our starting point is. Hashem is a creator, not a destroyer, right? A creator creates. So does Hashem want you to have the money you need? Of course he does. What about those people who don't? That's a mystery. But don't turn the mystery into a fact of life. The rule is, Hashem wants us all to be successful, to be healthy, and, uh, and to have enough to give away and share with others. Absolutely, that's what he wants. 
So you have to assume that that's what's going to happen to you. That's called positive thinking. Positive thinking is very helpful. It's like somebody once said to a famous Rav, I don't think Mashiach is going to come in my lifetime. And the Rav said to him, shh, don't say that. You're, you're getting God off the hook. <laughs> he said, I don't think he's going to come in my lifetime. Oh, okay. So Hashem says, all right, fine. So then I don't have to bring him in your lifetime. Don't give away the, bl- the brachas. Expect them. Rabbi Friedman, let me, let me jump on another question over here. Let me send the question. They want to understand why the punkta mitzvah of tzedakah by Tatsumavis. Why did Hashem talk about money, right, as, as the mitzvah that if you give money, you could save your, your life? If a person gives money, it's one of the biggest chosim. If you have a chasram, something is a bad gazer on you. Why did Hashem choose that mitzvah? And what, and what's, what does that mean? Well, literally, what it means is you gave a poor man life, so Hashem will give you life. When the poor man needed, you came through. So when you're going to need, Hashem will come through and save your life. That's, that's the simple, practical cheshbon. But you know, if you take that into the spiritual realm, how many people's lives are saved, not by money, by a compliment, by showing a little interest, literally saves lives. So that kind of tzedakah is no less important and in some ways even more important today. Today, people don't die from hunger. You go on welfare. (laughs) But people do die from loneliness and from uh, confusion and from despair. Today, real tzedakah has to do with kindness, uh, friendship, a little interest. People shouldn't feel alone or abandoned in the world. That kind of a tzedakah you can give on Shabbos also. And that's why Hashem takes us over the oceans to meet people you would never otherwise meet because they can teach you something, you can teach them something, you can encourage them, you can share a problem, you can keep life going. That's the real tzedakah of today. Hey, Rabbi Friedman, let's go to another live question. You're on. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Um, if the rest stated that Parnassah is based on mazal, is there a way to change one's mazal? Say you're just very empathetic and you wish you can help so many people, you know, a bunch of almanas, you know, brides who need money, children in public school, who you just wish you can just give, but there's a limit and you just want to be able to change your mazel so you can give more. Is there a way to do that? Uh, it's a complicated issue. You can't change your mazel because then mazel doesn't mean anything. Uh, you can't change what is bashert because then Bashar doesn't mean anything if you can change it. There was this minister who said to me, you used to be the people of the covenant, but God took the covenant from you and gave it to us. I said, you can keep it. A covenant that you can take away and give to somebody else isn't worth the paper it's written on. 
So if we say something is basher, there's a hashgacha pratis, everything happens for a reason. So what do you mean you're going to change it? I don't want to get into this whole complicated thing, but when Hashem chose your destiny, when he made a plan for what's going to happen to you, he took into consideration how much tzedakah you give, how many tefillahs you say, or whether you got a bracha from a tzaddik. Or there was a good doctor available. Some people are destined to live 120 years and never see a doctor, never get a bracha from a, from a tzaddik, and never give tzedakah. And yet, they're destined to live 120 years. Some people are destined to live 120 years with the help of a doctor. So knowing that there's going to be a doctor, then God plans for you to have 120 years with the doctor's help. Or knowing that you're going to get a bracha from a tzaddik. So God plans for you to have 120 years with the bracha, not without. The same with tzedakah. So can you change your mazel? In a sense, you can. But in reality, whatever you do to change your mazel was already taken into account when God decided what kind of a life you're going to have. And that's why you have to be really careful to do all the right things, because you never know. Am I going to live to 120 with a bracha? Am I going to live 120 with tzedakah? Am I going to live 120 with a doctor? So the doctor can't say to the patient, look, either you're destined to live or you're not. What do you want from me? I'm going back to sleep. No, he can't do that. Because it could be that the patient is destined to live 120 years as a result of a good medicine or a good treatment from the doctor. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Somebody wants to ask a question on what you're saying. Go, Chazar. Hi, thanks. Hi. I just wondered, though, Rabbi Freeman, how do you how how do you interpret mazel? Like when things go wrong, you can say, you know, brush it off and say, oh, it's from Hashem. But sometimes if it seems like everything's going wrong, it reminds me of the joke somebody said once, if I were an undertaker, no one would die. It just seems like no matter whatever your plans that you want to make just seem to either go awry or it doesn't turn out. You can say, I mean, you can say it's from a sham, but well, it, but how, you know, sort of uh, to continue with the, the, the person said about changing the muscle, how, how, do, how do you make of that? Does it mean you're in the wrong profession? Does it mean something I, you know, I sinned and I'm being punished? You know, it, how do you do these things that you feel that are just interfering with your ability to improve your life, you know, to make more money or to, to want to, you know, to, certainly want to do things well that kind of thinking can defeat yeah all purpose um there's a reason for everything yeah. a person going through a very difficult period in their life there's a reason for it mm -hmm. it's not an accident it's not your fault yeah. god's plan is often a mysterious but to think that he's out to get you he doesn't want you to be rich. He doesn't want you to be healthy. That's not, that's not good thinking.
that's not nice to accuse him of such things. So usually when a person feels like everything is going wrong, they're not paying attention. It's not possible. So many times I talk to people who think their lives are the most miserable, the worst life anybody has ever had. And when you look at it a little closer, it's not like that at all. So thinking positive is totally realistic and necessary because there is a plan. God is running the plan. If you would just think positive, you would enjoy the journey. But by thinking negative, you ruin the experience for yourself. So people could be a lot happier than they are if they would just let, let yourself be happy. Think positive. Okay, here's an interesting question that came in. Should we push for more education in our schools and our yeshivas to teach the kids how to make a profession so that it can be easier when they go out to make a pranasa? So it shouldn't be so struggling in the film world. My experience has been that if you give a kid a good education, they can handle things a lot better than a guy with a degree from college. So I don't see where, actually they're saying today that if you have a degree, you're limiting yourself because with a degree, you can only make a salary. If you have no degree, make all the money you want. Who's going to stop you? So I, I don't think, um, obviously, knowing the language is helpful. Knowing a little math is helpful so that you know how much change you need to get <laughs> for your purchase. But an education, I don't think it helps at all. And reading and arithmetic, I don't know why they call that a secular subject. Why is that a secular subject? Math is not a secular subject. Part of being human? To, to, to understand the halacha, you need to know numbers. Everything comes in numbers. So, then it, so here's somebody else sending a question. People are always collecting for weddings and basic needs. He wants to know if we created a crazy from system with tuition and uh, food, weddings, and causing life not to be affordable. And if that's the case, what can we do to make the from lifestyle more affordable? Well, we can do a lot. We can do a lot. First of all, keeping up with the uh, neighbors. That's, that's a crime. Some rich guy wants to make a big chasenig, isn't it hate? But now everybody has to compete with that? That's terrible. That's so unnecessary. If you're wealthy, like the Megillah says, 
If you're the king of 127 Medinas and you make a party, it should be for 180 days. <laughs> you know, it's got to be proportionate. So for a king of 127 countries, Pasnish to make a party for a week. 180 days. But if you're not the king, why, why are you over partying? What are you, what are you trying to prove? What are you trying, who are you trying to impress? So I think if people were just a little more comfortable with the blessings that they have, I don't know if they would have more blessings, but they would certainly enjoy the blessings more. I think that that's the trick. The trick is not to worry about how you get more rich. The question is, how do you enjoy being rich? Don't ruin it for yourself. In whatever rich uh, blessings you happen to have. You're saying it doesn't depend on the amount of money you have in the bank? Actually, it does. The party you make, the chasana you make, and the bar mitzvah you make, and now the bas mitzvah you make, it has to be according to your bank account. Why, why, why are you making yourself miserable and putting yourself in debt? Over what? Somebody sent an interesting question. He said, Is, isn't being rich in a soyan, he said this famous thing that the Vilna Goyen gave a, a bracha, whatever you say to his children, his grandchildren, they should all be poor. So why do we even daven to be rich if the Vilna Goyen made such a, gave such a bracha to his kids and grandkids? I think the times have changed. Yes, being rich is a Nesoyan. It's a test. Being poor is an equally difficult test. But we've gotten used to poverty and we know that we're good at it. It's like, would we, would we stop serving Hashem if we were poor? That's the test. History has shown that we do not stop serving Hashem when we're poor. So we have passed that test. Not that it was easy. Now we should be tested with wealth to see if we can do equally as well. And we, we don't need the poverty anymore. We've done that. We've been there. We're good at being good when we're poor. Now let's see how good we can be when we're rich. So here's a, another question that came in. I have, I've been doing a lot of learning and giving myself physics the last few years on my pranasa. However, I'm still very confused. If you can please break down the concepts of emuna, betochen, and ashtadlis, what they mean, and how does it play out in making parnasa? So emuna means whatever Hashem gives me or doesn't give me is all good. That's called emuna. That's like perfect. Nothing can go wrong. It can never be bad. Whatever happens, gam zula teva, it's great. Betochen means 
I am totally confident that Hashem will give me what I think I need. Not that whatever he gives me is good. No, I really think he's going to give me what I'm asking for because I think I need it. That's harder. But it's, it's, it's the way we're supposed to think. We have to have betochen. So betochen is, is based on the fact that Hashem gives us what we can handle. Sometimes too much goodness we can't handle. So he's not going to give me good that I don't understand, that I don't appreciate, that makes me that makes me crazy. No, he's going to give me the kinds of bracha that I can understand, that I can appreciate, that I think I need. That's betachem. Hishtadlus means I'm not I'm not expecting things to come. Uh, out of nowhere. When I ask and I see the results, I see the, the response, then I know where it's coming from, which makes it feel a lot better than surprise, surprise, you made some money. <clears throat> I'll tell you this beautiful thing. The Badichevet, of course, is famous for always defending the Jews and pleading with God that things should go well for Yidin. One head of Rosh Hashanah, the Badechev said the following to Hashem. He said, how does it look that I, Levi Yitzchak from Badechev, have to ask you to be good to your own children? doesn't look good. I'm a father, and nobody has to remind me to be good to my children. So this year, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to defend. They're your children. I'm sure you'll take good care of them. <laughs> Beautiful, no? However, the end of the story was that it's true Hashem doesn't need you to remind him, but a person should always be on the uh, on the receiving end, which means he has to he has to put in a request. You have to ask. That way, the the bracha you get is in response to your tefillah, which makes it so much more meaningful. Like Chana said. When Shmuel was born to her, the Navi Shmuel, she came back to the Beis Hamikdash, and she said to the Koyin, "Al Hanar Hispaloti, this is the child that I davened for." Now, many people have children without davening for them. <laughs> Some people daven not to have children, and they have them anyway. So, what was she saying? This is the child for whom I davened. See, there's a difference. Hashem will give you children without your davening. But it's not the same as when you daven for a child and Hashem answers. 
That way there's a giving and a receiving, not just a giving. So it makes the relationship more real. That's Ishtadlus. Ishtadlus means I'm going to show an interest. I'm going to make myself receptive. And then I will trust that Hashem will give me what I'm asking for. So the Ishtadlus is not what makes money. So you got to get that out of your mind. Working hard doesn't make money. People say, oh, yes, of course, you have to make a Hishtadlus. Hishtadlus doesn't mean work hard. Hishtadlus means make a request, ask, and you will receive. If you don't ask, you might get anyway, but it's not the same. Beautiful, Robert Friedman. Um, let's jump on the next live question. Unmute. Okay, you're on. Hi, how are you? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for the question. Thank you, uh, Rabbi Manis. Wow, I've been a fan since your book came out. Uh, why doesn't anybody, doesn't anybody blush anymore? That was uh, a while ago. Mm. Um, okay, if I could ask, uh, Parnassa wise, there is a growing group of older single men and also ladies that are doing very well for themselves Parnassa wise and they don't want to date anyone who does not have a Parnassa is not doing well for themselves Parnassa wise um it just it's it it doesn't look very appealing to them um but but there's this growing disparity so what is the Rav's opinion about in Shaduchim when especially with older singles when you have this like doing very well for themselves pranasa wise and and unfortunately no matter what they try the mazel is not with them pranasa wise or their baruch hashem a single parent struggling and is just not in their cards today so pranasa wise how would you how how would how would the Rav's understanding fall into assisting the growing, you know, this older group and Parnassa? Well, if there was a way to, uh, to, uh, to assist people in having Parnassa, whether they're looking to get married or not looking to get married, it's always a good idea. It's our job to eradicate poverty through tzedakah. But that's not always possible. So what is the alternative? I don't know if you're asking, uh, what should you do if you're dating somebody who insists on your being rich, otherwise they don't want to, they're not interested, and you're not rich. It's always been this way. Money goes to money. Rich people marry rich people. It's fine. If those are your values, and if that's what you want out of life, then that's who you should marry. I mean, how do we choose a, how do we choose a, a mate? We find someone who shares our values. It's like I tell, I tell all these guys, you're going out, you want to find a woman 
who will share your life. But they're going to ask you, what is your life? And you don't have an answer. So what life are you bringing them into? A life you're going to make up eventually? Why would they want to marry that? So you're always bringing someone into your life, whatever that life is. So some people's lives are money. That's, that's their life. Rich, big houses, a lot of travel. That's their life. If you don't want that life, don't marry them. So it's not a problem that some people are rich and some people are, are not. Let the rich be happy being wealthy. Let the people who believe in sitting in Koilu enjoy Koilu, and they're not going to be rich. And uh, let the people who like to work for a living and be comfortable, let them enjoy their life and find people that match your values. Nobody is going, this is another thing, just like Parnassa is Mazel and it's all Bashert, marriage is also Mazel Bashert. Nobody is going to miss their Bashert. Nobody is going to lose their, their Zivug. You can't blow it because if you can, then it's not a Zivug. So stop worrying so much. We're, we're worrying ourselves to, to, into, into sickness. There's, not, there's nothing to worry about. God really is in charge of the world, and he does pay attention. It's real. It's true. Let him run the world. It'll be such a relief for you that you don't have to. Whether, whether it's Parnassah or Shidduch, it's the same idea. Let's go to the next question over here. Somebody send an interesting question. I started a business. I've been very masliach the first few years. I feel a little guilty. Is it okay to want to be rich? It seems a little bit greedy, grub. And in general, is it okay to daven to be rich? Is there something wrong with that, with that mindset? Absolutely nothing wrong with it. Nothing. And you shouldn't try to play humble and make believe that you're not interested in money. If you have an ambition, then admit it, recognize it, and go for it. Don't play games with Hashem. In fact, the real purpose for davening is not to ask, but to admit. <laughs> you're not coming to ask for wealth. You're coming to admit that you want to be rich. And you can't fool Hashem anyway, so don't lie to him. When you come to, to Davin and you say, give me wealth, give me, give me health, give me wisdom, don't lie. Do you really want it or not? Don't just say it because you're supposed to say it. So what you're doing when you Davin is simply letting Hashem know where your thoughts are. Where is your heart? Don't try to fool him. Just be honest and say, I want to be rich. If that's the case. Just a little, a little honesty 
No, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be rich, especially today. In our time, when affluence is available abundantly for everybody else in the world, why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you be rich? If the world is rich, why shouldn't Jews be rich? When the world was not rich, we weren't rich. But when the world is rich, what, Jews don't deserve? So, the Gemara says, if you have 100, you want 200. If you have 200, you want 400. 400, you want 800, right? It used to be considered a criticism. That's like saying you'll never be content. But Berebbe would quote it as a sign of, of intelligence and a sign of a, of, a, of a mensch. A mensch always wants to increase in everything. You don't want to stay in one, in one place. So if you have 100, you should want 200. But it's interesting also. Why is it that if you have 100, you want 200? And if you have 200, you want 400. Why can't you have 200 and want 1,000? Because that's unrealistic. So yes, you should want more, but take it one step at a time. Don't jump from 200 to 1,000. From 200, you go to 400, 400, 800. Why, why does this person that's asking feel that it's up? You know, it is and can very easily be just a greedy, uh, needy, embarrassing uh, attitude or, or, but it doesn't have to be. Not every rich person is greedy. On the contrary, there are rich people who are exceptionally generous. There are rich people who can't stand having more money than somebody else. Doesn't feel right to them. That's great. Let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hi, Rabbi Friedman. I would like to ask, um, I know there's priorities to put first, meaning you have to give time to Dauphin with many and learn and give time for your family and your wife. And then you do your shtadlis to make panusa. Now, the question is, let's say in times um, that your business requires, you need to do work and give more time. Now, where's the line of you did another shtadlis and it's time to go home, take care of your family and kids and learn? Where's that line? Because it's a line that you struggle every day. Yeah. Where to put it? That's a very good question. Very painful question for many people. How many hours do you put into your job? There's no limit. A job that demands more work, you have to put in more work. But as you say, how many hours do you put in before you go home? There's the question. When you've put in the necessary hours and you go home, are you then home? 
or is your head still in the business? That's the crucial question. There are people who work eight hours a day. People work 10 hours a day, whatever it takes. But when you're done and you come home, are you home? Or does it haunt you all day, all night, and you never quit? You never stop worrying, you never stop scheming, then it's eating you up. So hard work is not a problem. Many hours is not a problem. The problem is, do you ever quit? Are you ever free of this, of this worry, anxiety, concern, scheming? That's terrible. If you can come home knowing that you put in many hours, but that's all it took, you did what you had to do, and now you are totally free to attend to other issues. That's fine. But you know, even the secular world is saying, and, and it's true, don't work harder, work smarter. Uh, during the COVID, I was talking to a businessman as a very big construction business in many places, offices in many cities, and in his own office, in his own building, he has 30 workers right there in, in the building. And of course, you know, they came to work, they didn't come to work, whatever the COVID was, was demanding. I asked him, when the COVID is over, how is your business going to be different? Because we got to gain something from this break, this recess. How, how is your business going to be different when you get back to work? And I suggested they work from, from nine to five, 30 people in your building from nine to five every day. Very practical question. If they worked from nine to two, would you make any less money? He said, no, probably not. I said, so after two o'clock, they're just wasting their time. Because you're not going to make more money. Everybody agrees to that. In other words, if you knew you were going home at two o'clock, you would get the work done by two o'clock. If you know you're going home by five o'clock, so you drag it out and you do a little now, a little later, and you get the same amount of work done in, in more hours. So I suggested, and I think this is a, a, a prediction for the future, you don't need to work from nine to five. You just don't need to. So people should come to work, give their best hours to the, to the job because you have to be responsible, work until two o'clock. After two o'clock, everybody sits down in a conference room to find ways in which you can improve your community, your city, your, your, your shul, your school, you now made your money. You have what to eat. You have a life. Okay, 
now dedicate a few hours every day to using your intelligence and your ability and your uh, your 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 power, your strength to make sure that others have as well. Now you would come to work with a very different attitude. It wouldn't be a rat race. There wouldn't be a place of such incredible stress that you have to be on pills, anti-anxiety, anti-depression. It's a horrible place, the workplace. Nobody likes it. Let's make it nicer. Give it a little more meaning, a little more content. You made a living for yourself, now help somebody else. There's time in the day for that. And then you come home feeling like a mensch. It would be so good. Okay. So the companies that want to sign up, could they call you? Absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful. Here's a interesting question that came in. I have a nine to five job and I can't make ends meet. What's the right Jewish perspective? To look for a new job, go on my own. Anytime I have an opportunity to go on my own, I get scared. How can I give up my stable job for something new that is not stable? And to put in davening in this question, how do I daven? What do I ask for? That really varies with who, who's asking and you have to know the person before you can answer such a question. The best advice is talk to two of your friends who know a little bit about business and ask them to advise you. If they know you, then they will be able to answer the question. You could do better if you were a little more ambitious, so take a risk and go for it. Or you're good at what you're doing, keep doing it, Parnassa will come, stop eating yourself up, enjoy life. Caravana's beautiful. Let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hold on. Hi. Hi, Rabbi Friedman. You've been speaking a lot about the end result, the parnasa, the money, the bracha. Um, but is it not so that a lot of times we're in a work environment, we're in a job, we have work-specific type of tasks, specific to, you know requests, and we're supposed to go through that process. And that environment, those coworkers, um, it's all about, it's a, it's a growth process, whether it's in sales, whether it's specific. And when does a person know when it's time to move on, when it's time to find a new, a new job, to take on more work, to turn elsewhere? How do, how do we know when that, that process that Hashem wants us to be going through is, is uh, culminated with you know, the right results? We really don't know. You know. Anybody who says, Hashem wants me to move on and take another job, how do you know that? What are you saying? You, you had a, a nevuah in your dream or something? We don't know. We have to decide what we're comfortable with, what we would enjoy doing, what will bring us greater income, and go for it, trusting Hashem, not waiting for Hashem to tell you. That's not the way it works. 
So if you see a more promising, appealing job and you want to go for it, don't be timid. Go for it. And the Abrishta will give you success. But if you hesitate and wait for Hashem to tell you what job to take, not necessary. Now, people who do have money, let's just get to the rich people. You get very disillusioned because now that you're rich, you think your life should be very pleasant. And it's not. The mistake is you thought that being rich would make your life good. It doesn't make your life good. It just pays the bills. So yes, if you're rich, you can go traveling. If you're rich, you can buy two houses, three houses, live here, live there. That doesn't make you enjoy life. That's not what life is about. The mistake is to think that wealth is a lifestyle. It's not. It's just a way of existing. Life has to be something much more meaningful, something much more romantic. It has to involve other people. Wealth doesn't involve other people. So don't expect wealth to do what it cannot do. And that's why, no matter how rich you are, you have to have a kahila, you have to have a shul that you go to, that you're committed to, that, uh, that your family can join you in. You gotta, you gotta make a life. Making a living is, is, a, is a misnomer. You're not making a living, you're making an existence, which is good but you still have to have a life. Wealth is not a life. So don't be surprised if after you get rich, you're still not finding meaning in life. Let's jump on this question, a little twist on it. I've been trying to be happy with what I have, but my wife tells me I'm just lazy and we can't continue paying, barely paying the bills like this. Plus, she wants to live more like our friends and family, richer people traveling, buying more fancy things. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do different. As a husband, should I push myself more and more to make my wife happy with more materialistic stuff if this is what she's asking for? Absolutely not. There's no end. It's dangerous. What is correct, though, is if you're... If your wife says the reason you're content with what you have is because you're lazy, consider seriously whether that's not true. And you shouldn't be lazy. But to try to satisfy or to, for a wife to push a husband to make more money so that they can spend more money, that's a little cruel unless she's right that he's just being lazy. So if it's laziness, then you should do something about it. If you're really trying your best and you're content with what you're making, then your wife should support you in that. 
not make you feel guilty for not being richer. It's not helpful. Is a but take seriously the uh, suggestion that you might just be copping out with laziness. It might be. And that you should do something about. Okay, here's the next question. It bothers me like crazy how someone who just has money is respected and admired between people in the community as a hush of a smart person. And then the yeshivas and tzedakahs put them on a pedestal why, why are we so narrow-minded people when we clearly believe it is in the hand in the hands of Hashem, and Hashem runs the show? We're marveling. We're marveling. Hashem runs the show, and Hashem chose to give this guy money. <laughs> Can't get over it. Hashem chooses strange people to give money to. No, no. Uh, giving, having, having enough money to give to others is definitely a bracha. Not everybody has a chance to do that. So we honor the person who was given enough money to be able to give to others because that's a mitzvah or a, a position that not everybody is going to have. So yes, it is a blessing. Of course, it's also a responsibility. Everybody should want to have enough to give away because giving away is so much more fun than having. Question is, Robert Freeman, but why then, why, why, for people so smart, we realize everything comes from Hashem, why we machshed it so much? Yeah, it's a little overdone. But why a Mesut would uh, wine and dine a rich person? Because <laughs> they want their money. It's not necessarily a compliment. But here's an interesting thing. If a person feels, genuinely feels, that he is getting out of life more than he deserves, whether it's money, or success in, 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 in social things. But he's getting more than he deserves. What does that thinking produce? It produces a feeling of gratitude. If I'm getting more than I deserve, I feel grateful. If I'm getting what I deserve, I feel that it's justice, not grateful. But if I'm getting more than I deserve, it, it produces a feeling of gratitude. If I feel that I'm getting more than I need, what feeling does that produce? It produces a feeling of wealth. A person feels rich when he has more than he needs. How much more? Irrelevant. If I have more than I need, I feel rich. And I should. If I can give away $5 
and it won't bother me at all. It won't affect me at all. I am rich. I am. That's true. If I can lose $100 on a stock and it doesn't bother me or keep me awake at night, I am rich. I'm rich. So the attitude, the perception that we have about our lives is what produces the appropriate feelings. It is very nice to be able to give away money and suffer no consequence. That's rich. Some people can give away a million dollars and not feel it. That's uber rich. <laughs> but people can be rich with less money than that. You walk past a, a poor man and you reach in your pocket and you hand him a $10 bill. You're rich. Why? You have more than you need. So think rich. Just because you can't give away a million dollars doesn't mean you're poor. If you have more than you need, you are rich. So there were people, tzaddikim, or very specially uh, generous people in our history, would not allow money to sit in their house overnight. The feeling was, overnight, I don't need money. I'm not going to be spending this money overnight. So it's more than I need right now. Get rid of it. Give it to somebody who does need. So here's a person who has not a penny to his name and he feels rich. Because during the night he didn't need the money, so he gave it away. That is rich thinking. Because the next day he pays the price. <laughs> so I'm not recommending that. I'm just showing how your mentality can, can be off target. You think you're poor? The average Jewish family today can give away a thousand dollars and not miss it. And they consider themselves poor. Not right. You're not poor. You're just not as rich as you want to be. But don't call yourself poor. That's not nice. So what, what would you tell this person that sends in the question, I feel like I'm not living the life I want to live. I always wanted to live. I, I see so many of my family and friends living, traveling, spending, and being so successful. While I'm a simple guy trying to pay my bills, overwhelmed in debts, and live week by week. Well, it's very nice to have ambition, to have dreams of where you're going to go, when you can, if you can, very nice. But if those dreams are turning into a nightmare, stop it. It's not a dream anymore, it's a curse. So if you're enjoying your life as it is and anticipating even more to come, that's great. But if you can't enjoy your life because it isn't better than you want it to be, 
you're you're making yourself miserable and it's not nice question question is how to stop it we you know many people know the psychologist somebody had an anxiety and he said stop it and again stop it how do we stop it first of all don't justify it don't make it sound like that's what you should be feeling and that's what everybody would be feeling looking at the neighbors or the relatives traveling all over the place of course i'm jealous and of course i want that no not of course stop making it sound like it's the normal thing the normal thing is i have my life i'm doing the best i can i'm not hungry i'm not suffering i have money to give away if i if I think about it, I have no right to complain. Then all of a sudden you're enjoying your life and then good things start to happen. So there's no justification for causing misery, not even to yourself. You have to have Rahmanas on yourself too. Okay, here's uh, all the way to the other extreme. How do I handle my success? I am concerned. I've seen many who made a lot of money, friends and family that go off the, re the trails. And um, he's worried about himself. You're really worried? Give it all away and you've solved your problem. But that you're not ready to do. <laughs> not, he's not that ready. <laughs> right. He still writes a Messiah. You mean double of what he has? Yeah. Yep. So go for it. Stop sabotaging yourself. If you have a lot of money and you want to make more money, then apply yourself. Make more money. I don't, I don't, I don't respect people who say, I'm getting rich and I'm worried. What's he worried about? He's worried about losing his Yerah Shamayim, becoming arrogant, uh, losing interest in his family. Yeah, these are the things that happen if you can't handle being rich. So don't wish you weren't rich. Handle it better. Be a, little, be a little more attentive to your wife, not less. Make sure you don't miss a mincha. But don't stop being rich and don't stop getting richer. And do something about your concerns. Yeah. Because they're very real. It's not a reason to not be rich. That's crazy. Okay, Rabbi Friedman, we have a lot more detailed questions. Let's get into more detail. Somebody sent the question. I feel like Hashem runs the world anyway. They have a tremendous amount of betachem. Everything is meant to be comes from Hashem. So why do I need to work so hard? I make myself crazy. I try to do my best. I come late sometimes. I try. If I get fired, it's meant to be anyway. So the question is, is a real betachem? He really believes. 
So he believes so much, like he doesn't take the job seriously because what's, it's whatever's meant to be is meant to be anyway. Is this the guy whose wife is accusing him of being lazy? <laughs> it's one guy who sent in all the questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that sounds like laziness. It's not a lot of betochem. It's just a, a disinclination to work. Behave the way you want uh, the results to be. If you want to make a living, act like it. Yes, Debeshtek can make you rich even if you sit home and refuse to work. That's not a mensch. A mensch is act like you want to be successful if you want to be successful. Don't, don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Don't say, if Hashem wants, he'll make me rich, but I'm not doing anything about it. Be consistent and be honest. Don't say, I don't want to be rich. You want to be. So act like it. Go to work. Of course, Hashem will give you the bracha and all the work you do is only to be receptive to the bracha but show an interest otherwise it sounds like laziness okay let's go a little deeper into this question somebody said the question it seems like especially <clears throat> sales is where there's an opportunity to make a lot of money right so the big money is my question is it eats me up inside i don't feel comfortable doing sales it's not my it's not who i am right to run after people does that mean I shouldn't do it? Or I'm lazy, or I should do it? Like, because then I did the opportunity to make money is obviously usually sales, and you know that, that type of thing has unlimited potential. But at the same time, it's the hardest thing. It's very uncomfortable to know the discomfort. So how do I know if it's laziness? If I, if I don't have that metzias, maybe I shouldn't do it. Yeah, there there are jobs that are that are not they're not comfortable to certain temperaments. You know, people who have to be outgoing when their personality is not outgoing, it's, it's painful. So at first, it might be laziness, it might be being timid. So you try and you do it for a few years and you see that it's just not, it's just not for me. Then it's time to change jobs. There's nothing wrong with that. Find a job you feel comfortable with that is more consistent with your personality. You don't have to be struggling uphill all the time. So in this case, I would say work smarter, not harder. You gave him, you gave him a few years. You told him to try it for a few years. Can't give up right away. Right. And maybe he should take some, uh, he should learn the skill. It's, I don't know if it's a skill, it's a personality thing. You may even be good at it, but it rubs you the wrong way. You're not a, you're not a, you're not an extrovert, which you need to be, to be a good salesman. You're an introvert by nature. What are you going to do? And pushing it and pushing it only makes it harder. It doesn't make it easier. 
because your nature is not going to change. What's what's if somebody tried many jobs and he feels he's not he wasn't successful at any? He's just walking around saying, "I'm a loser." Well, then the job is not his problem. His problem is that he feels obligated to lose. I'm going to tell you something really interesting. I noticed there are people, and not uncommon, who, who, if they become successful, they feel guilty because their father was not successful. And by becoming successful, it's almost like making your father look bad. By being a failure like your father, it feels like you're honoring your father. It's very common. And it's totally unnecessary. You're not honoring by, by being unhappy. But it's, an, it's a real thing especially if your father never approved of you. This is a psychological problem, not a, not, not a financial problem. If your father never approved of you and you go off and become rich, he will never approve of you. So stay poor and he'll have a little Rahmanis on you and maybe eventually he'll give you his approval. It's a serious emotional hangup. So the moral of the story is, give your kids approval. Don't make them beg for it. Yeah, so if a person has that attitude, everything I do fails, it means that he needs to fail. It somehow makes him feel better. Okay, let's go to the next question over here. I wanted to hear the rabbi's opinion on something somebody sent in. I heard the rabbi once said, a person is supposed to think that they're capable of making a huge business or super successful, even though they're not. Can you explain it? What does that mean? It just means don't put a limit on yourself that isn't real and that isn't factual. There's no limit to how much money a person can make you don't have to be a genius. So it, it doesn't work this way that if I'm, if I'm moderately smart, I can be moderately rich. If I'm exceptionally smart, I can be exceptionally rich. It doesn't work like that. Anybody can be exceptionally rich. So why put a limit on it? People are afraid of becoming too rich. Why? What's too rich? I'm not talking about a spiritual concern that they'll become uh, arrogant or uh, stop being from or stop davening. No, they're, they're afraid of wealth. I mean, how rich can you be? What, what are they afraid of? I don't know. I don't know. People are going to look at them. People will talk about them. 
Some of them are afraid of an ayin hara. But it's like a person driving a car and he's going very fast. And all of a sudden he's thinking, can't go that fast. Is he afraid of crashing? You can crash at a lower speed too. It's just, it's too fast. It's too much. It's too much. Can't be that rich. Yes, you can, and there's nothing wrong with it. So don't put a limit on it. It would make sense if the wealth was based on your talents. And you're getting so rich, it doesn't fit your talent. So you say, okay, I guess I won't be any, any richer than this because I have no more talent. But wealth doesn't come from talent. Being smart doesn't make bread. So let the Eberste give you as much as he wants to give you. Why not? Here's another question. I used to be very successful with my own business with uh, 15 plus employees. After many years, the business failed, closed down. I viewed myself as a very successful businessman, tried another business, and that also failed, and then another one. Eventually, I had to work for someone, but my confidence is gone. I feel incapable. All my efforts were wasted. What are the first steps in getting into the right mindset to become the original successful, confident businessman I used to be? The problem was and is that you're a confident seeker. <clears throat> you think confidence will do it for you. It doesn't. It doesn't. You thought you were very capable. And now you don't think you're capable. See, that's the problem. When you were making it, when you were being successful, it's not because you're capable. There are people more capable than you that can't seem to make a dollar. So if you change your, your, your perception, when you were successful, it was because Hashem wanted you to be successful. It has nothing to do with your confidence or your capabilities. So assume that Hashem wants you to be successful again and try again to get his blessings, not to be capable. Okay, beautiful, Robert Friedman. I have three more questions. I'm going to go to closing. Okay, Robert Friedman? Okay. Interesting question. Somebody said he started giving 20% to Chaymesh or Tzedakah, and he was struggling, and he's still struggling. I was hoping to see more success, but I'm not seeing it. Should I continue giving a Chaymesh, or should I just stop and only give 10% of my money to Tzedakah? If you can afford 20, of course, give 20. You really shouldn't go backwards in any mitzvah. If you mamish can't, then what's the question? Keep it up as long as you can. 
And that itself can bring you greater blessings. It's the one mitzvah that you can make deals with Hashem. I think that's, that's part of the question. He's giving the Chaim and he feels he's making the deal with Hashem, but he's not seeing the success. Hashem sighed. He said, Hashem, I'm doing mine. I'm doing my part. Hold him to it. Then he, so then he shouldn't stop giving the 20. He should keep giving the 20 until he's bankrupt. No, no, no. Being irresponsible is a different... Uh... It's a different cheshbon. Hashem says, give tzedakah and expect me to, re to reward you for it. And that's okay. A person can say, I'm giving tzedakah on the condition that my son who is not healthy will, be, will recover. That's fine. With other mitzvahs, you don't do that. You don't put on tefillin on the condition but giving tzedakah, yes, you can do that. But you got to do it with confidence. And just because it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It will happen. That's what emunah means. Somebody texted us, interesting question. I don't know if everyone knows the answer, but somebody said, what's the difference between giving 10% and 20%? What's the core difference? The core difference is that 10% is an obligation. And 20% is lefnim mishur asadin. You're going beyond the letter of the law. So the same thing is true. Hashem owes you, so to speak, is obligated to keep you fed and to keep you alive. Not more. But if you go beyond the letter of the law, then Hashem will treat you the same way and he will give you more than he's obligated to give you. So when it says, test me with this, is it talking about Meiser or is it talking about a Chaymash? What is it talking about? It's talking about everything. Everything. Any tzedakah you give, you can give it on the condition. Okay. So let's go. Uh, two more questions, Reverend, then we'll go to the end. I know, I know tomorrow you have a simcha. Thank you for coming on. I, I got the message today. Sorry. Okay. Somebody sent a message. I'm I'm okay paying my basic bills, but I feel depressed since so many of the friends are making such crazy money and these businesses today are are making the situation so difficult. So my wife and my rob, they keep on saying to me, don't worry about it. But it bothers me. It still bothers me at the end of the day. Yeah, so we already talked about that. Doesn't mean you're content with how much money you make. It means you're content with your life. Money is not life. So this feeling that you have to compete is, is very unhealthy and very wrong. You have to enjoy the blessings that Hashem gives. If you're not, then it sounds like, it seems like, if he gave you more blessings, you wouldn't be content with that either. You will always want more and be miserable. So what's the point in giving you? I have people who say, um, I can't afford to have children. I'm just making enough money for, for the two of us. How am I going to be able to afford a child? 
or a man says, I'm just making enough money for myself. How am I going to support a wife? See, the thinking is so petty. Hashem is giving you enough money for yourself because you are by yourself. If you got married, then Hashem will give you money for you and for your wife. Why? Because you have a wife and you have to feed her. And then if you have children, Hashem will give you more money than you have for the two of you because now there's a third mouth that needs to be... Why should Hashem give you enough for three when there's only one? So the thought that I will be making the same amount if I get married and I'll still be making the same amount if I have children, what, what kind of assumption is that? That's like all these panic uh, uh, movements. We're running out of water. We're running out of food. We're running out of wheat. We're running out of space. We're all going to die. We have to limit the population. You, you know what kind of cheshben that is? If we continue to produce as much food as we are producing, we won't be able to feed more people. So what's the solution? When there'll be more people, produce more food. <laughs> it's so evil to make a, a panic and, and tell people to stop having children because we're running out of food. You're not running out of food. You're going to have to produce more food. So produce more food. So the wife doesn't have to get a second job? If the wife wants to help out, that's beautiful. But no, she doesn't have to. That was never part of the deal. So who has to work on the Muna? Him or her? Well, if the wife is making her husband miserable, that he's not making enough money, uh, the wife is being cruel. Rabbi, you're not too concerned about global warming, right? I'm just making sure. Hey, I come from Minnesota. I'm begging for global warming. <laughs> so in the end, people will come spend their winters in Minnesota. I don't mind. Let Minnesota become hot and warm and uh, tropical. What's, what's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. So here's, here's the last question. That came in in a very short time and made a very large sum of money over $10 million. My question is I'm being bombarded with Sadaka organizations, friends, and family. I don't know the proper way to give Sadaka and who goes first, how much. Also, it seems more fun to give to the big, the big organizations, the big places, and get a lot of fame for it versus helping small people. Sudden wealth is a very tricky thing. You know, people who win the lotteries, their lives fall apart. You shouldn't wish it on anybody. So if you do win a lottery, give the money to Tzedakah immediately and keep pocket money for yourself. Otherwise, it's going to ruin your life. So any, in any form 
where a person suddenly becomes rich, it's, 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 it's dangerous. The danger is either that you become so arrogant that nobody even wants to be your friend anymore, or you recklessly give it all away and then everybody is disappointed, family is disappointed, you're disappointed, you don't know where all the money went all of a sudden, it's gone and it disappears as quickly as it came. So I think the healthy thing is you were never rich before. Don't think that you know how to do this. So set up a set up a tzedakah fund. Put money in there that you can afford to give away. And let somebody be in charge. Okay, let me just get one more live question, then we'll go to closing. Okay, one more? Okay, you're on. Okay, thank you, thank you. This is fantastic. I'm listening to you say that why should a person worry if they're a single person and they make enough money, if they get married, Hashem will send enough, and why should they worry about having more children and then they'll have enough? If Hashem always sends enough when there's bigger families and more people, we wouldn't have all the tzedakah cases and all the anim and Klai Yisrael. Obviously, the Aranim and Hashem is not always sending enough to everyone in Klai Yisrael. Getting tzedakah is not Hashem sending you money. I know it's not the most uh, prestigious way to make money. <laughs> but if you need to feed your children, there will be money. Either through your own success or through the tzedakah funds that have always been around. It's not something new. And in fact, that people give tzedakah to help support somebody else's children, that, that is the most beautiful part of life, the most beautiful part of society, is that people feed other people when, when there's a need. So no, I don't wish it on myself and I don't wish it on anybody else. But when it does happen, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to mention any uh, specifics, but in many communities, there are certain um, there are certain societies. Let's put it that way. Who do not have old age homes? They do not have soup kitchens. They don't have tzedakah funds because every family takes care of their own. Then there are other communities where they're very proud of the fact that they have old age homes, they have uh, soup kitchens for the poor, et cetera, et cetera. Which one is better? There are communities where the thought of putting your parents into an old age home, out of the question. Never, never, never. Beautiful, no? Then there are communities who know that there are old people who need a place, so they create an old age home. Not beautiful? It's also beautiful.
So depending on the uh, on the culture, on the uh, mentality, on the some people won't allow anyone in their community to become poor. It's beautiful. Others will feed the poor and make sure that they don't go hungry. That's not beautiful. Let's go to closing or wrap it up. I want you to think of how to wrap up such a shear, two hours of this in the closing. Okay, so first of all, let's just credit the Manus people coming on tonight, especially as a simcha tomorrow and giving us our time. We really, really appreciate it. Friedman, every time you come on, it's Moira Day. You got to come on every week, I think. Is that okay? Every Sunday night works for you? Clear your calendar? We can work out a deal. Work out a deal. Okay. And we're talking business. Work out a business. Just have to do our styles. Come, the rest will work out. I'm not concerned at all. It's great for coming and talk about this very important Indian and um you come on, which is always we always cover a lot of ground. Tonight we really covered a lot. Again, tonight's share is 131. If anybody wants to join the WhatsApp uh, chats and every Sunday get the share, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. And every Sunday I'll send you the flyer, or you can go to menachemburnfeld.com and uh, he'll send you the emails of the speakers who's coming on and all the replays and channels will be put up in a few hours on YouTube. You can watch it later. And you can send it to Rabbi Manas. You can put it on his YouTube channel, the, the rabbi of YouTube, and uh, you can see it over there. Again, if anybody's on the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, on this time of day, we have tremendous shiurim topics, Rabbanim, um, and uh, Baruch Hashem, it's been unbelievable. Next week, February 12th, we have an amazing shiur with the Rav from Ramada Shkol, Rabbi Shmuel Zucker. He comes from Kihilas Bey Shloima. And uh, the topic is going to be a, a bentire in today's working world, dealing with Nisoyinus of Kedusha in our generation. Should be a very deep, powerful, moving program. He's an unbelievable person. And please join us. The following week is going to be an amazing program with Rabbi Shlomo Slatkin on imago therapy for couples. It's a very interesting concept. And um, I know he has a tremendous success rate. Um, so please join us for that as well. If anybody has any questions, you can go to menachemberbefull.com or email him, coachmenachemagmail.com. Tonight's share is 131. If you want to listen on the phone, you could call the number later. All the share on phone as well, 848-777-GROW. And you can listen to it on the phone. If anybody wants to get in contact with Ramanus Friedman, you can go to his website. It's goodtoknow.org. It's I-T-S, good, G-O-O-D, to know, T-O-K-N-O-W.org. And Rabbi Friedman, right? They could know, see all your stuff there and get in touch with you if anybody has anything. Again, thank you to all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood School in Lakewood, Elian Ariel, from Five Town Central and Chayla Kaufman from JCN for the Jewish Content Network for always promoting us. Of course, all the Jewish platforms. Rabbi Friedman, a great shkreif for coming on. Coach Menachem, and then I'm going to give you the floor, Rabbi Friedman. Coach Menachem, what's your closing words? Thank you. Thank you very much, Rabbi Friedman. There's a lot of information, and I think different ways of looking at things. Many people were used to one way, and tonight we heard different ideas. And I think any person that has a little bit of anxiety, and worried, stress, has to stop and listen to what we spoke about tonight, understand that Hashem is taking care of us. And it's uh, not always the way you want it to be. And um, you have to do yours. And uh, also a very interesting concept that don't deny, not to deny if you want to be rich. And with Tefillah, admit it, which is very powerful. And uh, I think the most important thing is to understand, like we heard now, that Hashem is asking us 
Let's go. I want to go into business with you. Test me. Give tzedakah and tell me what you want and test me. Imagine Hashem tells you, please test me. We're not used to that. We're used to, you know, whatever it is, this is what Hashem wants. No, Hashem says no. Over here, let's go. And you have to get up there, say, I want A, B, and C. Hashem, are we in? Let's go. So it's a different way of talking to Hashem, but it helps with them on Ramuna, the Tachan, and with our Ishtadlis, the way we heard tonight, to understand what Ishtadlis is and to understand the law and how much you have to be home. So thank you very much. And Hashem should help us be able to implement what we heard, listen again and again until we can actually take those steps in Mitz Hashem. Right, if you're going to have a question, a request, and then a closing. Can I, can I give you the question first? Go ahead. The question is, what do you think for two and a half years we do this year every Sunday night and hundreds and hundreds of people come and join us and thousands of people listen to it, spend two hours every Sunday night to get chizik on El Diffin and Yonim. What do you think of that? A, B, a bracha for all the people that come on and that need the chizik, and then give us the closing. I think it's a great program. And uh, it should give you a lot of nachas that you're helping so many people. There's nothing greater, particularly when you're using the internet for holy purposes. It's marvelous. It's great. You should be even more successful. There's no limit to how successful you can be. Uh, I just want to put the emphasis on if you're having anxiety, you're doing something wrong. This attitude that making a living includes anxiety. You no, know, that's the way it goes. If you're working for a living, you're going to be anxious. I mean, that's just part of the... <laughs> it's the hazards of the trade. No, it's not. God forbid that, that you blame, you're, you're accusing Hashem of setting up a system that produces anxiety and, and, and it's the only way to go, cannot be. That's cruel and unusual punishment. So if you're feeling anxiety, it's not necessary. You shouldn't be feeling it. Figure out what you're doing wrong and get rid of the anxiety. Ivdu es Hashem besimcha is a realistic thing. But if all work involves anxiety, there goes your simcha. You can't have it both ways. So I think what I, what I hope people are now convinced of is that this unspoken rule that work, profession, job, making a living has to involve anxiety and, and misery, chas v'shalom. Life can be a lot better than that. My final thought is this. Some people say the belief in Moshiach is really unnecessary. What's the difference whether you believe in Moshiach or not? If Moshiach is coming tomorrow, what do I have to do tonight? Davon Meir, say Kedushma and go to sleep. And if he's not coming tomorrow, what do I do? Davon Meir, say Kedushma and go to sleep. So what's the difference? I have to do what I have to do anyway. So what, what does Mashiach represent? 
So some people, some of Farshim have said, the Iker accomplishment of Mashiach is how he's going to change the non-Jewish world and bring peace there. But for Yidin, we have our mitzvahs anyway. We got to do what we got to do anyway. And we really shouldn't do it for Mashiach. We should be doing it for Hashem. So the real accomplishment of Mashiach is what, how, what effect he's going to have on the non-Jewish world, which will bring about peace, which is great. But there's something a little better. Can't we say the same thing about rich? What's the difference whether you're rich or not? If you're rich, what should you do tonight? Go to sleep. And if you're not rich, what do you do? You say, Krishna, go to sleep. What's the difference? The difference, I think, is this. We have to do what we have to do with or without Mashiach. And you have to do what you have to do with or without wealth. So what is Mashiach? What's so special about Mashiach? Mashiach will take us beyond the obligation. You're right, the obligation is the same. But doing what you're obligated to do is not good enough. You want to go beyond the obligation. Just like a husband and a wife, they do what they have to do for each other, they fulfill their obligation. That's a marriage. Where's the romance? Where's the beauty? Where's the intimacy? Mashiach will open up our relationship with Hashem to something much greater than we do what we have to do. The same is true with wealth. You got to do what you got to do either way. But with wealth, you can go beyond the letter of the law. So it is a schus to be rich. Anybody who has more money than they need is rich, and therefore you can go beyond the letter of the law. You can give 20% and not only 10%. So we should all feel rich. Most of us have more money than we need technically, so we really are rich. Feel it, enjoy it, appreciate it, and use it properly. Okay, thank you for coming on. Everybody have a good night. We'll see you next week, February 12th, with Rav Shmuel Zucker from Kihilas Be'i Shleimer, Ramat Eshkol, the Rav. And everybody have a good night, Rabbi Friedman. I'm going to sleep so relaxed tonight. No anxiety. Shkoyach. It's as good a tariq as Yemen. Amen. Thank you.